I like it very much. No, I think it's beautiful. Beautiful. Really beautiful country. We just got here a short while ago, but the ride through the park was very, very... Where are you from? We're from Rhode Island, from the States, United States. You've traveled around a lot, have you? Yes, we have. Yes, we've been throughout Europe and throughout the United States, and we love Ireland. <laughs> what we've seen of it is absolutely beautiful. Beautiful country and nice people. You are visitors from Iceland. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And how are you enjoying yourselves in Killarney? Oh, very much indeed. Very much. And, um, well, we've just been here for, for two days for two days, but uh, I think it's lovely. It's been lovely. Yeah, mér finnst þetta alveg óskaplega yndislegur staður Kilarni mm -hmm. og þetta sem við erum búin að sjá á þessari La landslægið á þessari stuttu mm -hmm. uh, sko, á þessari stutta tíma Yeah, they, 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 they like the the landscape here and uh, og fólkið og fólkið er svo vingjand, vingjardlegt Yeah, they find the people are so friendly There was going in Kilarni for the first time during the Easter holidays in 1953 it was a Antostol festival and uh, Kilani change. Uh, you have plenty of tourists now at this period in Kilani. In '53, you know, the, it was sad. <laughs> <laughs> and um, all the Britons like coming in Kilani is a promotion for them to be choice to, to come here over here. And I like Kilani. I like the area. It's a beautiful area. An American landed on Erin's Green Isle. He gazed at Killarney with rapturous smile. How can I buy it? He said to his guide. I'll tell you how. With a smile, he replied. How can you buy all the stars in the skies? How can you buy? Blue Irish eyes How can you purchase A fond mother's size How can you buy Killarney Thousands of words have been written and spoken and sung in praise of Killarney and today one is only to observe the busloads of Americans descend on its numerous hotels or to listen to the huge variety of languages and accents anywhere within range of its mountains and lakes to realise that it has lost none of its attraction as a tourist resort for the world at large. One of its attractions may be that, apart from the inescapable intrusion of the motor car and the effect of a rising standard of living all round, Killarney has deliberately retained much of the older and slower way of life. For example, the jaunting car, described by so many writers of the last century, is still there, very much unchanged. I am an Irish carman, old Ireland is me home. There's not a spot on all the air from here I wish to roam. No, I like to treat the strangers as I drive them near and far. The sights and scenes of old Ireland on me Irish jaunting car. For driving on me jaunting car from Roscommon to Kildare. From Dublin down to Castlebar, from that to County Clare. From Cork to Limerick and the throne, then home by Mullingar. You can view the lakes of Killarney from me Irish jaunting car.
My name is Terence, Terence McGuff. And the car you're on is known as a Johnson car. And I'm now going to take you on a tour, tour around the lakes, to a place called the National Park. And we'll be on the main road for about a mile or a mile and a half. And you will, you'll see all the lakes in Killarney, and you'll get all the history, the data, and information that you want as we go along. And anywhere along that you want to know anything, or you want to get a picture of a view or scenery, you just tell me where to ask. Irish guides are the most amusing fellows in the world, said Mrs S.C. Hall in her book A Week at Killarney, published in 1843. Always ready to do anything, explain any matter, go anywhere, and generally full of humour. She might have been writing about Terry McGough, one of the Jarvies who, for many visitors, are the guides nowadays to the beauty spots of Killarney. With Terry up in front, conspicuous in a Texan-style hat, myself behind using his back to shelter a very exposed microphone, and two American ladies from Boston on each side, we set out for Muckras along the Kenmare Road on our Irish jaunting car. As uh, far as we can see, it's a beautiful place. Very, a very beautiful countryside. And we'll miss it when we go home to the United States. Because the beauty isn't as nice at home as it is around here, around the lakes of Kalani. What do you think of the jaunting car? Very nice. Comfortable. I've been looking forward to this for years. And you know what they say? To leave Killarney without being on a jaunting car is like leaving Rome without seeing the Pope. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Because you mightn't believe it, you know, but it's only one step from Killarney to heaven. Oh, but that's the biggest that, that's yeah. the biggest step you'll ever take. Because if you die while you're over here, we'll put you six feet down instead of up. <laughs> you see, we specialise in giving everybody the benefit of the doubt in this town. <laughs> Typical Jarvie-type banter from Terry McGough. And as we drove along by the walls of the old estates, the visitors were given some of the social history of the area. A lot of those walls are dated way back to the time of the British Landlord League here in Ireland. In a lot of those, if you look up the history or look back through the history of a lot of these areas, you will find out they were either owned by British landlords, British MPs, something big that way in England. And what ha- a lot of those land, a lot of this land came, those walls came through different times of evictions. And what happened actually in those days was. If you own that particular farm of land inside the wall there, and I was a British officer or a British MP, and if I wanted that particular section of land, they put on a big taxes on you. Well, nobody, nobody did have any kind of money in those days. But you, with a little bit of money you had, you tried to pay it to keep, keep the roof over your family. Well, then when you had no more money, they took your livestock, and you had no more livestock, they evicted you. They then gave you my farm of land, and... You hired me for my labour to build you a stone wall, six or seven foot high, around your estate. Keep out the peasants. The peasants was the poor me that was after only after being evicted off it. On then into the National Park and past the ruins of the Franciscan Muckras Abbey, burial place of chieftains and poets since the time of McCarthy Moore. He was a local chieftain of all this area at one time, and it was destroyed and plundered by Cromwellian forces led by General Ludlow in 1652. And the churchyard, or the burial ground to the front of it, well, that is being used up to the present day for some of the local people of the town. You'll never believe it, you know, but there are still people actually dying to get in there. 
That's the best. Or if you were good looking now, my dear, you might be eligible. Otherwise, you have no other possible hope. That's why you see the graveyard so small. Good looking people are very scarce nowadays. Like myself, every. I don't know, my dear. I haven't been down there yet to count them. Well, they claimed as the dead centre of the estate, but I don't know. More people claimed as an underground home for the deaf and dumb, but I still haven't been down there to find out. But if I go down before you, I'll check it out. I'll okay. reserve a room for you. A highlight of the jaunting car trip is a visit to Muckra's House and Folk Museum, now the property of the state and delightfully situated overlooking the lower and middle lakes. Con O'Connell of Board Falter. The National Park is, is absolutely fantastic. You have the gardens, you have the walks, you have the nature trails there, and you have, of course, the Muckras House itself, which has the various crafts and exhibitions there. This can, certainly can be extended. This can become a major focal point of showing folk life, of uh, developing the crafts again. Some of them are, that are nearly dead or dying, that they can be developed there. Tourism, of course, helps this because the, the crafts are supported by the revenue from tourism. The products are being sold out there and naturally this keeps the people employed. And if you can develop further, it means you can take on apprentices, which they are doing, is taking on apprentices and training them. And this is very necessary because the older people are dying out and the crafts will not continue unless we get the younger people involved. The manager of Muckra's house is Ned Myers, and we asked him first how much the house and its various attractions contributed to tourist development in Killarney. Well, of course, we promote... Um, in our own way, we promote visits to Muckra's house from outside and from the county and so on. Uh, I think Muckra's is, uh, is not so much an attracting force as um, one of the activities which can be done when people are in Killarney because remember that um, you know the day is uh, long, sightseeing is one element of what people want to do but I believe that uh, visitors to the area want to come and see, for instance, how do the people of Kerry live, where have they come from, uh, what do they do, uh, how do they earn their living, and so on. And they can see quite a lot of that here in Mukras, uh, especially with the craft workshops which we now have here, as well as with the exhibitions on things like housing in Kerry right through the 19th century and various other aspects of life in the past. They get a fairly good idea of what life was like in Kerry, I think. And are most of the visitors <coughs> you have really interested in these things? Are these the things they like to see? I think the majority of the people who come into Mukra's house are interested in what they see here and they're interested to find out, um, as I think we would be when we go abroad, I think we're interested in people, not so much in the sort of physical things that we see. We're interested in people, I think. And one of the interesting people to be seen at work at Muckra's house is Martin Cusson, the blacksmith. He told us about the appeal of the old crafts for the visitor. Well, about 75,000 people passes here through the forge. There's a barrier there, and uh, they passes here through the forge go after going through the house. And uh, you have... Uh, the fun, the action, all those you have, they, they, they love to see a horse being, being shod. And uh, you get some funny uh, questions and some funny answers from them. And even there, a couple of years ago, there was a woman, she came through there, I was showing a horse out there in the front. And I heard her saying that, uh, oh, she says, I love the smell of the horse's hoof. So she was away and she was 60 years in, in America. And uh, she came out, she said she was born alongside a... She was right alongside a, a blacksmith's forge. 
and she could, uh, that was the only thing that she can remember really now was the smell of the hot stove when she smelled there. But she asked me to know could I put it into a bottle for her. <laughs> so uh, with her. she, uh, I said uh, I could not do that, Madam Say, but I asked her now was she, was she smoked cigarettes? So she said she used. Have we got a cigarette lighter? Yes, she says I have. So I picked up the pairing of the horse's hooves and I gave it to her and uh, she put it into her handbag and she gave me a pound for it. Mm. But she did. Yeah. Samples of Martin Cusson's metalwork sold in the Muckra's house souvenir shop have gone all over the world. They represent the better element in the souvenir trade. But unfortunately, in Killarney, as in so many tourist resorts, the artistic handmade souvenir is often swamped by an inferior mass-produced article. Sean J. White, writer and broadcaster, formerly of Board Falta. I think it isn't, this isn't true just in Ireland. For example, I think it's the bad taste of the tourists that actually dictate uh, the, the actual quality of the souvenirs. Some of the worst souvenirs in the world you see in places in Italy like San Marino and uh, really dreadful things. You can see a certain amount of bad, cheap, Far Eastern stuff here too. But again, uh, Bordfalta has made efforts in its souvenir department to improve the supply and quality. But you can never at the same time um, you know, completely avoid giving the customer what they want if they want bad things. Uh, all one can say is keep up a perpetual effort. And this effort has been kept up by the ICA, for example. They've done a great deal. The Sleeveborne Co-op have produced very nice uh, things in basket work and this kind of thing. It's a question of getting sufficient supply of them and uh, you know, getting them into the shops and getting them to the right places. The craftsmen at Muckras, the Jarvis who bring the tourists around the lakes, the boatmen and the ponymen at the Gap of Dunlow all represent the older lifestyle which many of the visitors prefer. But can they survive in the modern world? At Kate Kearney's cottage, one still leaves the motor car in the 20th century behind if one wishes to go through the Gap of Dunlow, a situation which has barely changed since the Gap first became a big tourist attraction over a century ago. Jerome Coffey, proprietor of Kate Kearney's. Almost everybody in in the old days came to, that came to Killarney came through the Gap of Dunlow. It was the only way they could see the lakes properly. There is no other point of vantage uh, from which you, you can see the lakes. There's ladies' view, which you can see to the lakes from the upper end, but you can't see, see you can only get a small glimpse of the lower one. Then you have to go to a head door to see the, the lower lake, but you won't, you won't get the upper or middle lakes from that view either. So that, that was why boating on the lakes was very popular. You, got, you, you saw all the lakes. But why has the car sort of never got through the gap? Uh, well, in, 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 it would be commercialising the gap too much if cars went through. And uh, people wouldn't, I don't think people would enjoy it as much. E- even today, with the fast going, every, every, fast travelling everywhere, uh, it is nice for people to come back and uh, have, a, have a, stick, a step back in time, in, in other words. And, of course, it provides work for the pony men and oh, it, it people like that. It provides a lot of work for them. And, of course, they, they give, give the people the personal touch, which is all important in tourism. And the personal touch is provided by men like Paddy Healy of the Gap of Dunlow Pony Men's Association. I've been doing this pony trekking operator business for about 35 years. Uh, I'm very conscious of the different trends of tourism over that period. In the early days, uh, people travelled under their own steam. There weren't any 
or at least very few package holidays. And I think people felt very free and had better chances of getting into the more interesting parts of the scenery here in the south of Ireland. This Gap of Law trip has been very popular over a great number of years. It was first discovered by the local land owners or gentry who brought their friends on shooting trips through this pass. And they decided that a good way to end up this day was to take a packed lunch and go back by boat to Killarney. Now that started something that was made good use of by the local people as uh, boatmen and jointing car owners and ponymen. Three different groups were engaged in the doing of this particular trip. A trip which I think put Killarney on the map as a major tourist attraction. Because if you leave Killarney in the morning and come by John and Catechate Carney's cottage at the entrance to the Gafferton Law. There you can <clears throat> get down from your John and Car and have any type of refreshments you want. And you feel fortified for a seven mile ride on pony back or pony trap right on through the famous Gafferton Law. There you come off at Lord Brandon's cottage where a packed lunch awaits you having been brought up 14 miles by boat and you have about an hour there to enjoy yourself and enjoy the area and scenery around it. After that you get on your boat and you are entertained by the boatmen who are a unique sort of people in the tourist trade. They tell you tall stories and stories that are full of wit and humour. And I think by the time you get back to your hotel that you've got a fair idea of all that is best in the scenery of the south of Ireland. The pony men at the Gap have their problems too. Fuel for the horses in the form of oats has rocketed in price, just as petrol has for the car. And there's a fear that within a few years the special light type of animal suitable for the job may not be available. As well as that, the more leisurely type of transport just doesn't suit many modern visitors. Americans in particular like to move quickly. I don't think it would suit them. I yeah. don't think so, especially in the, when they come out of their, their warm coaches. I think the Americans were never too much inclined to go through the gap of the law. But it was different with the English. All the English that came here, they wanted to, to go through the gap of the law. And, and, even, and even now, of course, uh, to, to the vast majority of people that come here are... are um, Either Irishmen having on their holidays or continental people. The English don't come as much anymore, although I, I find that there are more English coming now year after year as they're beginning to understand more about Ireland. Well, we've just had a party from Iceland there. That's right. Well, that would be no, no news here because we've had them parties from Norway. We've had them, we had a lot of parties from Norway and we got them from Sweden. And then, of course, it's commonplace for Germany, France, Italy and sometimes Spain to send uh, tours here. And they like, apparently, the sort of thing they get, they, the they, quiet they, and they, the easy-going style of life. Yes, they seem to like it very much, but there, there is a, the language barrier is a bit of a difficulty. You hadn't that with the English. From your own point of view now, 
Kate Kearney's cottage now is a place that's famous too. It has changed a lot as well. Thank you very much. It, it has been, been re renovated interiors. The interior has been renovated, but uh, the outside is still the same. Uh, anyone the, it's a bit incongruous in a way, the, the luxury we have inside now and the, yes, and the outside. I, I understand that, but you've got to do that for the numbers that come through here. You, you, you have got to modernise, have modern amenities and camouflage them as much as you can. Try to give them the old world scene all the time. And the old world scene is presented fairly persistently by the Jarvies, Boatmen and Ponymen. Paddy Healy again. We try to touch on many things, and I suppose by meeting people, we have had a very remote idea of life in different parts of the world. But it's only remote. We have to leave a lot to the imagination. But their talk depends an awful lot on, and turns very much to place of local interest and place names of mountains and... I suppose early battles maybe as well, which we didn't have many in the immediate area of the Gapperton Law. But we got a castle quite near, which gives its name actually to the uh, Gap of Dunlaw. It's, Gap is a pass, a mountain pass, and Dun means a fort or castle, which is on the river at the approaches to the Gap. There is no... Uh, hotel right in front of this castle but people can drive down and see this the remains of this castle Well now, have you had any training yourself, Paddy, in this sort of thing in learning the local history yourself or is it just something you've picked up? Well, I picked up bit by bit because I think you know, that from the older people who did this thing we sort of developed an interest in this sort of uh, story-telling thing, and um, there are the little stories by people who, when they are describing the height of a particular mountain, they usually say it's 3,413 feet and a half inch, and the visitor usually asks how the half inch, and they say that they had to remove it to let the moon pass by. <laughs> Well, do you find yourself playing up to the visitors? In a way, do you put on an act for them? No, the only act we really put on for a visitor is that we have to speak at about uh, three times as slow as we normally do. Because when we meet each other on the road and the, you know, the guides who drive the traps or ponies, and we jabber very quickly between ourselves, uh, the visitors say, isn't the Gaelic a lovely language to hear? <laughs> yes. <laughs> We're still speaking English. <laughs> yes. <coughs> well, of course, the the foreigners mightn't even be alone in that. You could get plenty of Irish people who wouldn't understand the Kerry accent, I suppose. We do. They tend very much to sometimes, you know, to use what they call Kerry jokes. Now, uh, I suppose each county has its jokes, but... Uh, we seem to be the people at the moment who are getting all the stickers the guys carry jokes. But uh, I think we can take it with a sort of pinch of salt and uh, we don't get very aggravated about it, you know. If it makes a laugh, that's all right. In every business, there's an element of humour in the customer, in attracting visitors and in keeping them happy, possibly more than in most. But is the tourist industry one for which we have to pay a very high price? Sean White again. 
Well, I think for any industry you have to pay certain prices. For ordinary uh, sort of heavy industry, there's pollution prices. But uh, for tourism, there's also a pollution price, which must be recognised. I think this is very much an affair of balance. Tourism, in fact, has been traditionally the industry of poor countries. Greece, Portugal, Spain, I give examples. And Ireland was, to a certain extent, in that category. We were very glad to have tourism uh, at a certain time when we didn't have the same kind of industrial base as we have now. But as industry increases and as farming improves, my belief is that the tourist sector will go into balance. It will be there and it will be an important part of the economy, but it won't necessarily um, absolutely supersede everything else. And uh, at the same time, with the growing awareness about for conservation and pollution and so on, I think it is necessary that the tourism aspect of this be kept in, uh, in view too, because definitely tourism does cause a certain kind of pollution. Uh, We're lucky to have escaped the kind of caravan sort of pollution. I think that the Irish tourist authorities have been very aware of this and you don't find those vast parks of caravans that, for example, you find in North Wales. But there are other things and there are other prices we definitely have had to pay. Does it have an effect on the character of people, say in a place like Killarney? Well... I'm afraid it does, although Killarney, in fact, is pretty well a tourist town and that probably from its very inception it was the first tourist town in Ireland. It started with tourism, with Walter Scott and so on, and so there is what you would describe as a certain Jarvie character that does go with it. But on the other hand, Killarney must be recognised as a very well-organised tourist unit, uh, probably one of the best in the country. It does put through a great number of tourists, probably after Dublin, the greatest number of tourists, and its hotels and that are geared to this. But it also does, to a certain extent, uh, affect the spirit of the people. I think there's a certain inevitability in this. I mean, when tourism was much smaller... The Irish were very welcoming and hospitable and natural, as it were, with the tourists. But when the thing becomes professional, I don't think you can rely on this, shall we say, amateur friendliness or hospitality. And uh, it's a pity, but there you are. I think if you're going to run a successful tourist industry, it must be run professionally. Those connected with tourism in Killarney are nothing if not professional. And nearly everyone and everything in Killarney is connected one way or another with tourism and its commercial aspects. It has, uh, no doubt about it, it has a demoralising effect, but uh, I think we, that's rooted here now without any, any uh, tourists coming in. Uh, we have changed completely. But I think that, that uh, for instance, now for Kerry and for this area around here and the uh, Kerry's, I think if they hadn't tourists, they wouldn't leave. Because uh, the, the, the money wouldn't be flowing. And uh, people in Kerry, uh, in those areas, uh, they're, they're very well off because you have the tourists flowing through all, actually through all the year now, winter and summer. You have somebody all the time in the move. But do you not think it's a bad thing that so many people are engaged in attracting tourists and being nice to people who may not be nice themselves? <laughs> you know, this sort of thing that you've got to count how a lot to the visitors. Well, and I suppose it... Uh, a lot of those, those uh, people that's attracting tourists, they're doing it for their own good, of course. They're, they're gaining by the, 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 the amount of tourists that can get in and all this last stuff. And there's always, there's always someone body gaining by the tourists because you have the, the bus tours and you have the hotels and you have the, the armory housewife keeping a few tourists during the... And that does very well. It's, it's all a question of money, really, in the end, oh, isn't it's it? it's all a question Martin? of money, is right. That's right, that's right, yeah. that's right. Sure, that's what we're all trying to get, is money, <laughs> money, money. How yeah. can you buy 
all the stars in the skies How can you buy two blue Irish eyes How can you purchase a fond mother's sighs How can you buy there are people who would buy Killarney, there are people who would radically change and modernise Killarney, there are people who would run a motorway through the gap of Dunlow. But Con O'Connell, for one, doesn't foresee the pony men going out of business in that way. I don't think this question arises anymore because, well, you know, we talked about, there was talks about improving that road which would open up to, to, to motor traffic. I think any of us involved uh, in tourism would uh, look at this uh, in the other light, is that if you erode to modernisation, if you erode your existing attractions, then the Capitan Law is a major attraction. If you put cars in that road and improve the road, well then uh, you cannot um, have the, the horses going through it um, and the pony men uh, operating there, and this would be an asset lost to it. Now there are plenty good roads, there are plenty of scenic roads around Kerry besides having to take the one nice um, journey of about seven miles a true lovely lo mountain in Lakeland uh, to destroy that to the visitor who wants to go pony riding. And you think that the pony men will be there for many years to come? I think they will, and I certainly hope they will. And Ned Myers agrees. Of course, it's very difficult to predict what's going to happen in the future, but I think, in fact, that the Jarvis and that mode of travel and, indeed, the ordinary rowboat in the lake and so on, in other words, the more leisurely way of life uh, will become even more attractive in the future because when people go away on holidays I think they want to get away to a different and more leisurely type of life. One of the things I have read myself was Mrs Hall's account of Killarney. You remember the descriptions of the beggars and all that sort of thing and the poverty yes. uh, during her visits in the 19th century. Uh, of course all that has changed. Oh, yes, yes. I mean, uh, one doesn't really see any of this sort of poverty in uh, Kerry today. I mean, if there is a poverty, it's a totally different type of poverty, but not that particular type. Uh, do you not think there's still an element of... Um, one wouldn't call it begging, of course, but there's a, a soliciting of trade by the Jarvis, say? Well... You can look at this in different ways, and I mean, there is the tag of commercialism applied to Killarney. People say in a very highbrow sort of way, ah, Killarney is over commercialised. But I mean, tourism of its very nature is a commercial business. Now, I would put another angle on this one. You know, they say that when a Kerryman is asked a question, he answers by asking another one. And the real reason for this is that he is genuinely disposed to help the person. And if he asks that other question, it's to get more information so that he can answer more specifically and more qualitatively. Now, I believe that when a Jarvie, for instance, asks a tourist, does he want to go for a drive, he's genuinely telling him of the attractions of the area so that he will enjoy his trip all the more. Do you think they still retain their individuality, that the, you know, this obsequiousness, if there is any, it doesn't kill the, the person's individuality? I think not. I think the Jarvis are ordinary, honest God, uh, carrymen, um, and uh, I, I don't think they're really affected by this tourist thing at all. At the same time, it cannot be denied that a bad tourist season affects the lives of the Jarvis 
and of a great number of other Killarney people as well. Changes in tourist patterns can affect them too, and at the moment the fast-moving, highly organised package tour is the really big business. Mrs Eileen Scott, who runs a small hotel, sees this as a move away from the more personal and homely contact between visitors and hosts. I am speaking as a small business person here in Killarney, and I do feel that you know, tourism is geared, in the past years where there has been an economic recession, it has been geared towards the bigger operations where people came in in big groups. You know, when I came here to Killarney first in the late 50s, people came in in twos and threes and fours, and these people gravitated to the smaller places. Now people come in in 40s and 50s and hundreds, they count them in hundreds, therefore they are for the big places. So I feel that, like everything else in life, people disagree. a lot of people disagree with me in this, that the small business is finished. It's a sweeping statement to make, but I, I see the symptoms, of the symptoms of it all around me. That it is finished. That small business is, is a thing of the past, unless there will be a change in philosophy in future times. But right now, at the moment, everything is geared towards big business, big operations, big numbers of people. Big is the operative word. I think Killarney is one of these short-stay tourism. It's a one-night stop or two-night stop on a coach tour or something like that. There has been a tendency, for a while there it was all Majorca and Spain and people going abroad. Now with the recent economic thing, I think more Irish people are going to their own coast again with families and so on, and the resorts are building up a bit again and there's more investment being put into them. And I think this is a uh, there's nothing as good as home tourism, really. Uh, the, the tourism done by the Irish people in their own country. Uh, the operators themselves, the hoteliers and those recognised, they're the best spenders and probably some of the most satisfactory tourists. So, I mean, the encouragement board for has been giving, given to the um, home tourism, uh, holidays at home, and that, I think, has been a very satisfactory trend. But if, by any chance, Killarney should in the future lose some of its popularity as a tourist resort... It will at least, unlike a number of similar resorts, have something to fall back on by way of alternative industry. Con O'Connell. Yes, indeed. This is not well known, and I think this has done a tremendous good for Killarney because a number of years ago, Killarney maybe started after St. Patrick's Day or in April, and you had a very good boom peak season, and then it died away and towards on the end of September. So you had a few months of tourists, and everybody had to hibernate or live on what they made during the sewer season. Now this has changed tremendously because uh, with industry and you have uh, at least three or four factories, a couple of very large factories and with an employment in, in industry in Killarney of something like 2,000 people. Now this creates a basis of a population in Killarney and this helps tourism as well because tourism needs a population. It needs people full-time employed that there would be people who can take up part-time and maybe school leavers in this or indeed school holiday people that can take up holidays uh, or take up employment during the summer holidays. So one in helps the other. They're not actually contrary to one another at all. And it creates a much better family life. It creates a community in Killarney. Uh, I mean, a, a resort which has nothing but tourism, well, it just dies, so there's no community there. And it just becomes an artificial tourist resort in the season. Killarney's not an artificial tourist resort. It is a, a live town with a centre, with a culture, uh, which is developing. I think this is very good for it. Tourism provides a very satisfactory environment for industry. It's a good background as it were a good tourist country has the um the effect of being a pleasant place and a friendly place and so on it won't ever drive them out but you will find this balance if you want to keep a certain place for tourism for example certain parts of the west coast well then you can't allow certain kinds of heavy industry the shannon estuary is one of these things there's been a lot of controversy about this you know whether you should have a heavy industry and whether that would destroy tourism 
as I say, it's very much a, a case of balance balance and planning and on the whole I think this has improved I mean the county planning people the county official teams and that uh, working with the tourist authorities and with the IDA have worked out a fairly happy relationship and realised that both factors are necessary both the industrial and the tourist and the farming branches of our economy all are interrelated for example tourism is one of the great uh, suppliers to are one of the great customers of the farmer he doesn't realize this he do, a lot of them they don't have to send their their stock abroad or anything like that the tourists are bringing bringing it away with them in their stomachs at quite decent prices so it is a very necessary support to farming a good tourist industry uh, likewise um, the even the heavy industry finds the the kind of infrastructure created by tourism the good hotels and that you'll find for example going around Ireland the best hotels the best quality of food are usually around the coast because they have been used to a fairly heavy tourist thing over the last 20-30 years whereas we still have some fairly bad hotels in the Midland the reason they don't have this access to tourism Killarney may not be on the coast but it can certainly still claim to be among our most flourishing tourist centres and the American visitors we met all agreed that they got value for their money. So far we've done all right. Yeah. I've been a constant shopper at the uh, Shannon Airport shop. I do a lot of mail ordering there. And uh, I give the uh, Waterford Crystal for gifts. Everybody seems to enjoy it so much. I hope to do a little shopping now and send it back too. Mm-hmm. You don't feel in a place like Killarney that people are out to do the tourists get as much money out of them as possible. I haven't felt that as yet. No, we've only been here two days. No. Very lovely they country. They haven't, they haven't had a great opportunity to swindle you so far. No, no. Uh, I think everybody's been very nice. I might not be a canary, but I'm not chicken either. So we'll give you some note of it. So Thank you. 